As I sat yesterday afternoon in my study and began to prepare for this morning, my mind went back to last Sunday in our Christmas program. And I thought about this scene that was constructed here on our stage, the nativity scene. And I thought about the fact that all of those things have to be in certain places for it to be a correct nativity scene. I want to read a few verses of scripture out of Luke chapter 2 this morning. And then I want to talk about is our scene in order. Luke chapter 2 beginning with verse number 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. About the latter part of that verse 16 And they hurried off and found the baby lying in a manger. One of the most central themes that all of us who were raised in the Bible Belt of America are familiar with in this time of the year is the nativity scene. Whenever my mom and dad started the church, whenever I was just a young boy, uh, they they bought a little small nativity scene and set it up on uh, the little table entering into our kitchen area. And that became an annual thing each year that that nativity scene was set up uh, for our Christmas celebration. And in that nativity scene, there is a stable. There is Mary. There's Joseph. There's baby Jesus. There's the shepherds the wise men, and we often even include angels in that nativity scene. Mary and Joseph were part of the scene. Mary is the one that the angel appeared to and said, God has chosen you to be the birth mother of his son here on earth. Joseph was in that scene because the angel appeared to him and said, Joseph, fear not to take Mary to be thy wife because what's conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. The shepherds were part of the scene. It's unusual that God chose the shepherd to announce the birth of his son. 
They were the hardworking class. They were the ones that pulled the all-nighters. They were the ones that many times were the lowest and often the loneliest group of people in the community. But God chose that group to appear to and say, you're going to do the announcing for the birth of the most precious son of God, the most important individual ever to be born on earth. We're going to use you to do the announcing. The wise men have become part of the scene, even though uh, they were not in the original uh, birth uh, Uh, group there that day. They didn't show up until probably close to two years later uh, whenever they came to his home and presented their gifts. But uh, they were there because it was... it just looks better with them putting in there. They, they add a little class to the nativity scene, so we always just put them in into our picture and into our setting. The animals were part of the nativity scene, the original one, because people traveled from far, and uh, they didn't have BMWs and Fords and Chevys and uh, Mercedes. They rode a, a donkey or were, dro- or were drawn by a cart pulled by oxen, and so uh, whenever they reached Bethlehem, they had to go in and, and, and uh, have their animals taken care of, and so they were carried into uh, the barn, into the stables to be cared for. And so the animals were there. The earliest idea that I could find yesterday, and I don't know exactly if it's precisely accurate, but uh, the earliest mention that I could find in history of them creating a nativity scene was 1223, when St. Francis had the idea of putting all of these images back together to create the setting when Jesus was born. And so as I begin to look at that, I, I see that nativity scene now on Christmas cards. They're on the cards you send one to another. Uh, they're built on stages of churches to, uh, to uh, show in our time of Christmas programs. And uh, if you're as old as I am, you remember riding through town and seeing nativity scenes set up in courtyards, city halls, schoolyards. But the culture war that we have been fighting now that's been going on for the last two or three decades have passed laws that those kind of things are no longer allowable. You can't put a nativity scene on a government property or a place that, uh, that, that the rules have changed. And this morning's sermon is not about that, even though that would be a, a good sermon uh, subject sometime to look at. But uh, this morning, I, I'm not so concerned that we don't see that nativity scene set up in those various places anymore but I want to make sure that that nativity scene is set up correctly in our lives in our hearts because so that nativity scene that we look at this morning accurately reflects a life it reflects your life it reflects my life Because as you look at that nativity scene, what is in the center of all that we saw last week? It's Jesus. The center is Jesus. And for that nativity scene to be accurate, Jesus has to be the center of what everything else in our lives evolves around or else our nativity scene is not correct. It's kind of just like the sun. Give God praise this morning. It's like the sun in our solar system. 
that the sun is what gives off energy to all the other planets. The sun is what all the other planets revolve around as they make their circles themselves they evolve around the sun and uh, as uh, as we look at that it's an ideal picture of the way our lives ought to work with Christ that he ought to be the center and everything else ought to revolve around it and so all of those nativity scenes and if you've got one when you get home go look at the figurines it's set up correctly Boy, Luke was in the middle of that uh, place last week, and uh, he was sound asleep. And I told Pastor, I said, boy, we got off lucky. He's sleeping. And then when he woke up, he was just as happy as he was when he was laying there asleep. I want to tell you this morning, the nativity scene is correct when Jesus is our focus. And if you look at every one of those nativity scenes, you see where Mary and Joseph are looking down at Jesus. You see the, I don't know why we've always put the shepherds on this side and the wise men on that side. I've never figured that out, but every time I've ever been in a a part of those, I've always been on, on one side or the other depending on the part, and I was always a shepherd. I never got to be a wise man. But you see those as a shepherd, all of their eyes are turned and they're looking at Jesus. You know, sometimes it's hard to keep our eyes focused on him. And we're going to talk about that in a minute, but I, I, I kind of chuckled last week as I watched Hudson. Y'all see him swap knees? You know, until you've tried to balance on one knee without anything else down, just try that sometime. You'll understand what he was doing. Uh, but, he, but, he, but his eyes never left focusing on Jesus. The wise men stood there, and their focus was on Jesus. And all the nativity scenes, even the animals that are sitting around in there, their heads are all turned towards Jesus. And so this morning for the the nativity scene to be correct, then our focus has to be on Jesus and Jesus alone. Amen? Amen. The problem is today is that it's so easy for us to get things out of place. Many times we take Jesus out of the manger and we place him over here and we put the wise, uh, the shepherds, we put them in the middle of the place. Jesus is still part of the nativity scene. He's just out of place. And that's what happens in our lives sometimes. He's still a part of our lives. We just get him out of place because the shepherds actually represent our jobs, our occupation, what makes us a living what pays the bills, what provides food on the table. And we focus so much on those kind of things that uh, we let Jesus get put out of place and he no longer is the uh, focal point of our lives. Well, I struggle with that too. You say, Pastor, you work at a church. I said, yeah, but that's something. So many times I, I go about visiting and, and spending time and, and that, that I lose sight of Jesus and I will focus more on the work you're doing rather than the one you're representing. And I do understand that this morning because we spend the biggest part of our week on a job. We spend the most part of our day on a job that we're awake. Not only that, but I believe hardly without exception, we put our best effort on a job. 
When I go to work, I want to be the best I can be while I'm there, and I want to do everything that's asked of me and required of me while I'm on that job. I may go home and grumble about it all afternoon, but while I'm there, I'm going to work. Amen. That's what we do. We put all of that focus and all of that energy into our jobs. But I want to tell you this morning, that job can never become the focal point of your life and you be able to exist as God created us to exist. I can also tell you this morning that work relations have become a real issue in many marital problems. Because we spend so much time on a job, we need to be careful what we allow ourselves to enter into while we're on that job this morning. Uh, many problems that we face now. The problem with getting Jesus over here and the shepherds or our job in the, in the center part of our lives is when things start falling apart. When our walls of our life begin crumbling in. We don't have anybody to lean on. We don't have anybody to call on. We don't have anybody there for us and our lives fall apart and, and we look around and we say, God, I'm still going to church. What's going on? I still believe in Christmas. What's going on? The problem is this morning is that we get Jesus out of place in the scene of our lives and we allow jobs and occupations to become our central theme. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 3 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do. I don't care what kind of job you've got. It needs to be given to God before you go to work. Amen. God needs to be the central theme. And he will establish your plans. Don't put work in God's place in your life. For others this morning, they have replaced Jesus, and they put him, take him from here, and we put him over here, and we take these wise men, and we walk them into the center of our lives, and if you didn't know anything about the Christmas story, that sounds pretty good. These guys were popular. They had fame. They were educated. They were well-dressed. They were successful. They had wealth. If you've given away gold for a Christmas present this morning, I won't on your Christmas list. Amen? So they had gold, frankincense, and mirth that they gave away, and so uh, they were wealthy. They were very successful people. I can tell you if I ask you to show a hands this morning and I ask you how many of you the most important thing in your life is fame and popularity and wealth and, uh, and all of those things, there wouldn't be a single hand raised in this house. Because the fact is this morning, none of us think, none of us believe and none of us would confess that Success is important to us or that money is the most important thing to us or that popularity is the most important thing to us. The problem is this morning is that so many people who will not raise their hand and say uh, that is important to me wind up living their life as if that is a very important thing to them. And they get Jesus out of place in their lives because they want to fit in with this group or that group or that social club or in this neighborhood. And so they miss out 
on keeping Christ in the center. I won't get very many amens on that this morning, but it's still the truth. Amen? Amen. The problem with that is this morning, some of the most unhappy people in the world are rich. Some of the people struggling with life are rich. Some of the early suicides that you and I hear on the news are from rich people. They've got everything that you and I could think a person could ever desire to have. And because Jesus is out of place in their life, they have nothing to fall back on. They've got nothing to lean on. They've got nothing to establish their life on. And so they're miserable this morning. Can I tell you that 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 17 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I want to tell you, the richest person in the world is the person that's in the center of God's will, doing what God purposed them to do. They're the happiest people you'll ever meet, amen? That they are, amen. Don't allow success to take God's place in your life today. Let's just swap the baby Jesus. Let's just take him out of the manger this morning and let's place him back here and let's make Mary and Joseph the center of our focus. Mary and Joseph represent Family, children, relationships. Hey, that's got to be right. Family first, that's got to be right, Pastor. I believe that we ought to put family first. I want to tell you this morning, I believe family is important. I believe family is, needs to be a priority. I'm a family man. I love family gatherings. I love to have my family around me. But I want to tell you, that's not the central focus of my life. And so many families, listen to me this morning, so many families, so many separations, so many hurt feelings, so many families that won't speak to one another today, all came out of a result of putting people in a place that they never deserved to be put in the first place this morning. <laughs> Expecting more out of them than they're able to give you. This morning, family was never intended to be the central focus of your life. A question was asked in a pastor's conference. The question was this. Does your wife make you happy? Think a minute, men, before you answer. Does your wife make you happy? I thought about that. Wave your hand, Mick, just so everybody knows who you are. Does Mickey make me happy? She and I have a great relationship. We've been married 46 years plus now, counting. God has blessed us. Uh, we're best friends. We share everything in life. We have two wonderful children. We've got six great, wonderful, fabulous grandchildren. 
uh, you know, we do things together. We enjoy being with one another. But if I had to answer that question this morning, I would say no. Mickey's not what makes me happy. I want to tell you, you better be happy long before you meet your companion. You better be happy with your life, and you better be happy in your life long before you ever think about getting married. Because I want to tell you this morning, if you're sitting here today thinking that if I get married to this individual, this man or this woman, I'm going to be happy, you better think again. If you think this morning, if you're sitting there and thinking, oh boy, this new relationship that I'm about to enter into is going to complete me, you better stop and think again. If you found it this morning, if you're going through a time whenever you say, if I can just get out of this mess I'm in and get into something new, everything's going to be all right. I want to tell you this morning, you're wasting your time and you're wasting your energy because the only happiness you are ever going to find is whenever you find Jesus to be the center of your life and everything else will fall in place today. Everything else will find its place whenever we find Jesus to be the center of our lives. Joshua 24, 15 says, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors, gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whom in whose land you are living, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We're gonna put God first in my home. He's going to be the first in my life. He needs to be the first in Mickey's life. He needs to be the, uh, the first in the daughter of the son's life. Not expect others to fill God's place in your life. Because if you're expecting that person beside you to make you happy, you're going to be disappointed. Don't put family in God's place in your life this morning. The fourth thing, let's take it out and let's put Mary and Joseph back in their place and Let's take Jesus and let's move him out and let's put the animals in the center of our lives. I don't know about that. Don't kid me. I've seen some of your Facebook posts. I've seen your animals dressed up in every kind of costume that, uh, that you can dress them in. Don't do that. Don't do that. A dog is a dog, a cat is a cat, and whatever you got is whatever it is. You know, I don't do that. I inherited a big old Siberian Husky whenever my grandson moved in to go to college. I don't know about you. He's mine now because I'm the one that feeds him. I'm the one that takes care of him. I'm the one that walks him. I'm the one that does everything that he does. And so every time I go in and sit down, he sits down by me. Every time I get up to go through the door, he's ahead of me going out the door. But don't ever put animals first in your life. Because an animal, every time that I get home, because of bad behavior, his name's Blue because he's got big old blue eyes and he's in a crate. <laughs> 
He's been caged during the day because we found out he likes windowsills, he likes uh, electronics, he likes photos, he likes a lot of things. If he's there by himself, he has no restraints. And so uh, we come in with a house destroyed and so uh, he's, but every time I walk in, He's so glad to see you. He's jumping. He's running. He's so thrilled to see you, just like an animal is. Well, that animal represents more than just it. It represents everything in life that brings us pleasure. It represents our recreation. God wants to be first in everything we do. I want to tell you, he wants to be first in our our church life. He wants to be first in our home life. He wants to be first in our work life. He also wants to be first in our recreation life, in our vacation life, in our hobby life. He wants to go out and he wants to, uh, he wants to go to school with you children. He wants to go to work with you that work. He wants to enjoy coffee with you that are retired. He wants to go to hunting with you guys that hunt. He likes to go fishing with you guys that fish. How he likes to go play golf for those of us who enjoy golf. He likes to go shopping with those of you who enjoy shopping. And so God wants to be a part of everything that brings you pleasure in your life. Listen, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. God created them for us to enjoy. He, he never told us not to, not to enjoy animals. He never told us not to dress them silly, but, uh, you know, he never told us any of those things. He just simply told us, don't let pleasure replace me. Don't let anything else that you do take my place in your life. Make sure that I'm the central focus in everything that you do this morning. Revelations chapter 4 and verse number 11, he said, You are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will they were created and they have their being. God created things for us to enjoy in life, folks. They just weren't created to take his place. Don't let pleasures replace God in your life. You know, I love what I do. I, I share with all of you all the time, there's never a time that I start in this pulpit that I'm not nervous as can be. You know, I, I, there's a reason this sets here. It's not because I get thirsty. It's because I get so nervous sometimes that my mouth just dries out and my lips stick to my teeth and I need something how to just wet my mouth so I can speak. I've always been like that. I always have. But I know this morning that God is the one that called me into the ministry. He's the one that equipped my life and gave purpose to it uh, that I could go forward. And so I love what I do. I'm not swayed by people's opinions. I'm really not. You can complain about something that I do. I'm not really um, moved by your criticism. I, I many times stop and look at my life and say, hey, do I need to do things differently? Is there something I can change that would make me be a better uh, person and fulfill my purpose even more? Uh, but, you know, I've never wanted to be Jerry Irwin number two. I'm not kidding. I have no ambition to be that. He's not as good a golfer as I am, so I don't want to be him. That's a... I just, but I, I watch people all the time that do ministry on a much larger scale than what I do, but I am totally content doing and being what God created me to be. I'm totally uh, at home in my shoes this morning. I really am. 
because God placed me in places where people hurt the most. I love being there when no longer can I go back into your OR preparation areas. I have to meet you out in the lobby, but I love to be there whenever you come in and there's tears running down your face because you're in pain. And, and I can tell you and I can pray with you and tell you that God's grace is sufficient to see you through what you're fixing to face. God's grace is going to see you through. I love to encourage people. I like to stand by a casket and, and, and tell that person that the deceased individual, and I've seen some of your posts about your mom, Demetrius, and what a great family you and a grandmother that you were raised up under and what great individuals they were. And, but I like to stand by people like you and tell you that, hey, they'll never die. What they imparted in your life is going to live in you forever. Uh, they're going to live and you're going to feel every day uh, something that they shared with you, something that they told you. You're going to feel it every day and it's going to strengthen you. And it's going to encourage you. I love doing that this morning. I love to share with people the importance of family. I want to tell you this morning, don't ever live a day. Don't live a day that you don't tell each other that you love them. Don't live a day that you don't enjoy to the fullest their presence because you never know what, what that day is going to be the last day that you ever have together. I love to tell them the importance of, of the unit that God created and placed you in and, and men that God placed you head over your family to be that spiritual leader that everybody else can look up to and lean on this morning. Mother, that God placed you there to love and, and and to console and uh, to be that one that's, that's always approachable no matter what they're going through in life. That's what God created us. I love to share that with people. But you know this morning, you don't need Pastor Irwin. You don't need Pastor Don. You don't need Brother Ford. You don't need Brother Mark to preach to you and tell you you're life is out of sorts your life preaches to you every day you don't need me to stand here this morning and tell you that Jesus is out of place in your life he's he's obviously still there because you're here He's obviously still a part of your life because you're here in service this morning but you don't need me to tell you that he's out of place your life preaches to you every day. And your life will begin to look right. It will feel right. And it will only be right when you put him back into his proper place. You know, in the New Testament, we find much to say about life itself. And how to live life. If you don't spend time every week reading in the New Testament, you're missing out on a lot of the practical ways to live in life. Because it has much to say about money, time, marriage, children, jobs, even the stress we face. The New Testament is so practical in every way. You know, in Colossians, and I'm going to read verses 15, I think it is, through verse 17 in just a moment, but... In Colossians, as in most 
chapter headings in the New Testament, almost all of them have a, have a subheading or a heading that describes what it's about. Colossians chapter 1 in my Bible, I don't know what it says in yours, but it'll be something along this line, the supremacy of Christ. Chapter 1, the supremacy of Christ. So what that says is this morning, we can't even begin to dig into the practical things of life, and we can't even dig into practical living until we put Christ in the supreme place of our lives. We can't even begin to understand which way for us to go until we put God where he is supposed to go this morning. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 17. Before I read that this morning, I always watch speakers that had glasses. They always put them on, took them off. And that looks so prestigious. That's the most aggravating thing in the world I've ever had, folks. Uh, whenever I walk up and I can't see this because the glare hits it another way, uh, my new eyes God gives me in heaven is going to be better. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, the Son of the, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and, unvis- and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in all things and in him all things hold together. In this Christmas season, God gave us a command. He said, Worship me. And man said, But I can't see you. And so Christmas, God said, I'm going to put skin on, and I'm going to put flesh and bone on, and I'm going to come down, and I'm going to live with you, and I'm going to walk among you, and I'm going to find out what life is all about. And so he did. He came in a manger to die for our sins. But that's not the only reason he came this morning. If that had been the only reason that he came, then he would have been born in a manger, he would have grown up, and he would have died on the cross. He had been placed in a tomb. He would have been resurrected on the third day, ascended back to heaven, and salvation's plan would have been complete. But God wanted much more than that for you and I. 33 years he walked on this earth. Why? Why did he live 33 years? So that he could experience everything that you and I would experience in this life. He would know what it is to be lonely. He would know what it is to experience pain. He would know what it is to be brokenhearted. That he would know what it is to be deserted, to be outcast, to be hated, to be loved. To be most popular, to be an outcast that nobody wanted. You see, this morning, the reason that he lived 33 years is so he could qualify himself to know everything that you're going through so that he could become your best friend, that friend that sticketh closer than a brother, that friend that's with you every step of the way. Give him praise this morning. Amen.
And you'll never get your life back right until you take it back to the one that created it. He's a God that's not far away. He's near. He knows you. He knows what you're going through because he went through it himself. I want to tell you that's a precious gift. Boy, that is such a precious gift that God gave us is that he knows what we're facing. He knows what you're going through. I don't know that if... I don't know if he ever had vertigo, but I know that he knows how I felt whenever I got it. I know that he's there. I know that he understands what I'm going through. Everything, everything finds its purpose in Christ Jesus. Your family, your job, your wealth, your recreation, you can't put anything back in place until you put God first. You know, if you've got a vehicle that's messed up, the best place to take it is folks who made it. Carry it back to the one that made it. They know how to repair it. I see some of you shaking your head. You didn't buy it from the dealer I bought it from, huh? But most of us today have our Christmas faces on. Red is popular across the congregation this morning. We've got on our Christmas outfits. And we're sitting here this morning and I don't know about you, but every time I walk in these doors, I don't care what I'm facing before I get here, I'm going to put a smile on my face. Always do. Why? Because I want you to think God's the best thing that ever uh, happened, and I want you to think that I'm happiest in the world regardless of what I'm going through. I never want to give God a bad image by a bad look on my face. Amen? I want people to think God is the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I never enter into a building that I'm not smiling pastor called me a grinner whenever he came and run a revival for me years ago. He said, Pastor Don grins all the time. I do. I grin all the time. I, I grin here. I grin everywhere I go because I want folks to know that living for God is a joyful life. But if you find your place this morning in a church pew with a smile on your face, with your Christmas attire on, and your life falling apart... It's because you've got your nativity scene out of order. You've got it out of order. If you'll find yourself in that position this morning, I never like to tell you what's wrong with you without giving you a step to make it right. The first thing you need to do this morning is invite Jesus to take his rightful place in your life. And you have to ask him this morning. The place in your life belongs to him. The place in your life He created. The place in your life no one else can feel but Him. But He's not going to come in unless you invite Him in to reestablish or to take the correct place and the rightful place in your life. He's not going to barge in. He's not going to come barging in and take over. He's waiting on you to ask. He knocks on the door. For some of you that are here this morning, he may just started knocking. For others this morning, he may have been knocking for a long, long time. And you've just kept refusing, kept trying to live your own life and do things your own way. But if I could challenge you to do anything this Christmas season, it would put Jesus back on the throne room of your hearts. Right out of high school, 1973, Vic and I ran off and got married, and 
Thank God I survived coming home to her father because uh, I'd have been in a mess if he'd have done what he threatened to do to me. Uh, I'd have hated to face God <laughs> with my life in the shape it was in. We got married in July, and Mick will tell you. September the 9th, 1973. In a community church, the doors weren't locked. Nobody was there. I made my way into that building that morning. I came to the altar, and I knelt just by the steps on the right side of the pulpit, just like here. I prayed the simplest prayer that I could think of to pray. I said, God, here's my life. I don't know what you can do with it, but I promise you one thing. If you will come into my heart, you will always have supremacy in my life. You'll always have first place in my life. Has my life been perfect? No. Has my life had difficult times? Yes. Have I been through times that I didn't know what was going to happen tomorrow? I certainly have. You know, I, I know I don't do everything just right behind this pulpit. Adam and Cheryl, all of the sound crew tell me when I'm preaching, I do not say mountain, I say mounting. <laughs> My daughter-in-law makes fun of me because when I walk into a pulpit, she says, he goes into his preaching voice. <laughs> I got news for you today. I may go into a different voice. I may climb a mountain instead of a mountain but God is the supreme power in my life. He has the supreme place of authority in my heart and in my life this morning. And I would encourage you, there's no life like living life in the center of God's will with God being the center of your life this morning. There's nothing like it. There's nothing more joyous than knowing Christ in the free pardon of sin. The second thing I would encourage you to do is to invite him to every area of your life. I don't want to sound mean or cruel, but God doesn't want to be your Sunday God. He doesn't want to be your Christmas God. He doesn't want to be your Easter God. He wants to be your everyday God. He wants to be your best friend. He wants to be the power that is able to see you through whatever life throws your way. He wants to walk with you every journey. I want to tell you this morning, we need to involve God in every area of our lives. Put him in the center of your marriage and watch your marriage change. Put him in the center of your workplace and watch your occupation life change. Put him in the middle of all of your recreation and pleasure and watch your joy just explode. Because I want to tell you, he's a God who blesses his children. Third thing this morning, if y'all will come on this morning, is that we need to ignite a fresh passion to know him more. We need to ignite a fresh passion to know him like we never known him before. You know, I love the fact that 
the year ends with Christmas. I just love that. I love that whether Christ was born on December the 25th or not, it's the day we've set aside to, uh, to celebrate his birth, but I'm glad we do that. Because at the end of the year, we celebrate the one who has brought us through 2019. We celebrate that one who has walked through the low valleys with us and we're able to stand on the mountain today and look back. We celebrate that person this morning and that power uh, that's supplied every need that we have in life. I want to make it a point in this Christmas 2019 to know him more. I see minds turning this morning that said, hey, I've been a Christian five years. I've been a Christian 15 years, 25 years, 50 years, 75 years for some. You haven't begun to know what God is. You haven't begun to know what all he wants to do in your life. He wants to bless you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to to commune with you. He wants you to feel his presence every day of your life. We ought to make it a point in our lives to ignite a fresh passion to know him more. I want to tell you, I've heard pastor talk about revival. I've heard Brother Ford talk about revival. I've talked about revival. I've heard some of you talk about revival. I wouldn't wait on another person to ignite that fire in my life if I were you. I would make it a point to set that thing ablaze myself so that I could know him more and I could fellowship with him more because I want to tell you, we live in a society that has their nativity scene out of order. We live in a society that could care less about God being the center of anything. In fact, this world draws us away from putting God in his rightful place in our lives. But I want to ignite a flame that burns within my heart to know him more, uh, to know him more than I ever have before. When you put God in the center of it all, your life will light up every day with the joy of Christmas. You'll experience the peace of knowing you're never alone. My neighbor came across last night and she said, my husband has been put in the hospital. He's going to have open heart surgery, hopefully before Christmas, if they can get a group together. We had prayer together there. And last thing she said was, look out for me tonight. I'll be home alone. A child of God is never home alone, folks. They never home alone. And if God's in his rightful place, you know you're not alone. But he's standing right there by you. In the toughest times, in the worst news, in the greatest celebrations, whatever's happening in your life, God is the one that is enjoying and going through or supporting and carrying you through those times this morning. Make sure your nativity scene is put together correctly. If you want to set your scene in order this morning, do like I did that Tuesday morning. Just pray this simple prayer. Cross this room this morning. Just pray it. You pray it silently. Pray it from your heart. 
Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I need you. I'm calling out to you and I ask you to change my life. I've done things my way long enough. And today I ask you to help me to do things your way. I invite you into my life to be my Lord and Savior. To fill the emptiness in my life with your spirit and make me whole. I believe you died for my sins. Help me to love you. Help me to live for you. Help me to trust your grace, your mercy, and to accept all of your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, this Christmas season, make sure that your nativity scene of your life is in the right order. Amen. Give God praise this morning. Give God praise. Amen.